Now today I'm going to do something a bit different. We've preached through the book of Habakkuk in the last three uh, weeks, but today I'm only going to look at one verse in Habakkuk and trace it right through the rest of the Bible. Uh, the risk of doing this is that when we jump to different passages, we can end up taking passages out of context. Uh, that's why it's important to keep testing everything you hear from a preacher against the Word of God. God's Word is His authority. So go home, look at the passages again that are on the talk outline. Whatever you hear from this pulpit or any podcasted sermon, test it against the Scriptures. Let's pray. Gracious Father God, we pray uh, that you would um, return Neil to serve here refreshed, uh, that he and Jane would have had a great time away together. We pray for your hand on Clinton and Kirsty and their family in this process of the call, Father. We pray that you'd also be on us as a church as we seek a pastor to share in the work of the gospel here. Most of all, Father, we pray that as we hear your word, you would open our hearts that we might be hearers and doers of your word for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, everyone lives by faith. It's often said that only religious people have faith, but the reality is everyone trusts in something. Uh, I wonder how many people believe in genetics. Uh, genetics is real. Uh, people will even make very significant decisions about genetics, and yet I wonder how many of us have actually seen a strand of DNA for ourselves. We put faith in science, don't we? It's not just science. My, uh, my four-year-old son has a favorite movie. It's the Lego Ninjago movie at the moment. It's a great movie. But that movie's message, like a lot of movies at the moment, is that we need to believe in ourselves. The power to shape our reality and destiny lies in ourselves. We are the heroes of our own story. So believe in yourself. Have faith in yourself. People put their faith in money. People put their faith in education. People put their faith in children. And of course, in, a, in Victoria, people put their faith in their AFL teams. Our parents, Clayton and Danielle Edwards, named the youngest child Harry after Geelong fullback Harry Taylor. Now, if their baby was a girl, they were going to call her Scarlett after former fullback Matthew Scarlett. Harry's sisters, Sienna and Olivia, were signed up as members of the club within days of being born. That's faith, isn't it? Many children, now adult followers of Melbourne and St Kilda football teams, are cursing their parents for choosing their faith for them. That's called living on the basis of a promise, isn't it? Having never seen a premiership in their own lifetimes. See, faith is real. And the question today is not, whether you have faith, because you do, the question is, what do you put your faith in? The question is, what is your faith like? Well, in the last three weeks, we've worked our way through the whole book of Habakkuk, and we've followed Habakkuk's journey with God. We've learned about God and how we should relate to God. In chapter 1, we saw Habakkuk crying honestly to God about the state of his people. How long, O Lord? Will you remain silent? We saw that we have a God that we can complain to, we can cry out to. And in chapter 2, we saw God's response to Habakkuk. He was going to raise Babylon to judge his people's sin. And then in turn, he was going to judge Babylon. And we saw Habakkuk stand before God the judge in silence. So we learn that God silences every mouth. 
In chapter 3, we saw Habakkuk's final response of praise to God, where Habakkuk realizes that his only strength, his only joy is in God, his Savior. Now, today we're going to spend time looking at just half a verse of Habakkuk, and it is this verse in Habakkuk 2, verse 4. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. It's an important verse because it tells us how to respond to the same God that Habakkuk praises. It's an important verse because it's quoted three times in the New Testament. We're going to unpack what that verse means for us today. But firstly, we need to look at Habakkuk 2 verse 4 in its original context. So chapter 2 verse 4, See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. God is contrasting two ways to live, the puffed up pride or the faithful righteous. And in the context of Habakkuk, the puffed up pride is referring to Babylon. Verse 5 onwards, God speaks of the woes of judgment that he is going to bring upon the Babylonians to bring them down. But in contrast to the puffed up Babylonians are the righteous. Well, who are the righteous? We hear about them in chapter 1, verse 4. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. The righteous are a very small group of people. Uh, in the context, it's not the Babylonians. It's not the majority of God's people, Judah, either. The righteous are a small group, a small minority of God's people who are being treated unjustly by the majority of God's people, the wicked. The righteous in the scriptures are those who can stand before God's judgment and be considered right in his eyes. It has that legal sense of someone who is just or justified in God's judgment. And the righteous are not mentioned anymore in the book of Habakkuk after chapter 2. But by the end of the book of Habakkuk, I think we're meant to look at Habakkuk as a model of the righteous person. Habakkuk 2.4 is, is a bit of a fork in the road for Habakkuk. He could go away from God like the Babylonians, puffed up, or he could go towards God and be faithful to God and find life. And we saw Habakkuk's response last week at the very end of the book. Chapter 3, verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Habakkuk chooses to be faithful to God. Now what does that look like for Habakkuk? Well, let's have a look. God has told him that Devastation is coming upon his people. God has raised Babylon to destroy Jerusalem, to exile God's people. And for Habakkuk to live means trusting God. So Habakkuk ministered, say, in the years 640 BC to 609 BC. Habakkuk still has to wait for God to fulfill this prophecy. Judah will fall to Babylon, but that only happens some 20 years later in 587 BC. And then Habakkuk has to wait again for God to fulfill the second part of the prophecy, and that is for God to judge the Babylonians, who are going to be defeated by the Persians. And eventually God's people do return from the exile, but not until 538 BC. So faithfulness for Habakkuk is to wait upon the Lord. 
God will keep his word of judgment. The wicked will not triumph over the righteous. God will save and vindicate his righteous who trust him, even when Habakkuk will not see that with his eyes. Habakkuk 3, verse 17, Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. God will judge, God will save our people, but Habakkuk most likely died before this came to pass. The author of Hebrews sums up what faith looks like for Habakkuk and for us. Hebrews 11, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Faith is trusting, putting your hope in something even when your eyes don't see it. Faith is trusting God's promises without always seeing God's promises fulfilled with our eyes. And faith is not just for the ancients like Habakkuk, it is also for us. But what does that faith look like for us now? Now, have a look at Habakkuk 2, verse 4 again. Now, as we've been going through Habakkuk, maybe you've been using a different translation of, uh, that, of that verse. In the NIV translation that I've been using, the verse reads, as the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. But in the margin, it says faithfulness could also mean faith. If you've been reading the ESV translation, it reads as the righteous shall live by his faith. And again, in the margin in the ESV, it says faith could be faithfulness. So which is it? And, and does it really matter? Well, you see, if it's faith, then what's really important is what you put your faith in, the object of your faith. Habakkuk puts his faith in God. If it's faithfulness, then what is being emphasized is the quality of your faith, whether you are faithful, whether you are steadfast and loyal, whether you have stickability. Habakkuk is faithful to God, even if everything is taken away from him. Well, the Hebrew word could mean either faith or faithfulness. And what we're going to see in the New Testament is that both faith and faithfulness are important for the Christian life. As New Testament writers use Habakkuk 2.4, each of these things are being emphasized. And each of these passages, Habakkuk and the three New Testament passages, are in the context of God judging sin. And when facing God's judgment, both faith and faithfulness are crucial. Okay, let's jump now to the New Testament, Galatians chapter 3. We can see that it is crucial what you put your faith in. Verse 11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul, when quoting Habakkuk 2, is emphasizing how you become righteous. A group of people called Judaizers had come into the church telling the believers in the Galatian church that trusting Jesus wasn't enough. Faith wasn't enough. You had to add works of the law in order to become righteous in God's sight. Now, the Apostle Paul re rebukes this very strongly. Putting your faith in the Old Testament law is not how you become righteous in God's eyes. Rigid, outward observance of laws and precepts is not what God wants. 
Christ is all you need. To add anything else takes away from what Christ has done for us on the cross. In fact, Paul says, under the law, the reality is that all of us are cursed for our failure to keep the law. The law only points out our sin and how we deserve God's judgment. And Jesus Christ came to redeem us from the curse of the law. We are therefore justified or declared righteous only when we put our faith in Jesus. And this is no different to the God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, the God of Habakkuk. It is by faith in God, in Christ, that God declares us righteous. That's how God declared Abraham righteous. He put his faith in God. So the object of what you put your faith in is crucial. Let me ask you the question, what do you put your faith in? When you think about God's judgment, and the Bible speaks repeatedly about God's judgment for our sin, where does your confidence lie? Is your faith in your morality? Uh, is your faith in your good deeds? Is your faith in your birth status? The Bible says that righteousness from God is a gift, a gift of God's grace, a gift that only can be received by putting your faith in Christ Jesus. Martin Luther, one of the pillars of the Reformation that changed history, wrote of his own conversion. Uh, Luther lived as a monk. He tried to live an exemplary life, trying to follow the law of God, to not sin against God. But Luther realized the depth of his own sin before a holy God. And, and Luther had this deeply disturbed conscience, and he even con confesses as he writes that he came to hate the righteousness of God. He was angry with God because he felt completely condemned by God's law, God's righteousness. And upon meditating though upon the book of Romans, and in particular, Paul's quote of Habakkuk 2 verse 4, God finally opened Luther's eyes. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in it the righteousness of God is revealed. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. And there I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. And this is the meaning the righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. He who through faith is righteous shall live. And here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. And there a totally other face of the entire scripture showed itself to me. Many people hearing this today know Luther's feeling. That feeling of being condemned by God's law, that, that feeling of a burden of God's law and not meeting God's holy standard. And that feeling of that burden being lifted from our weary and heavy hearts. Guilt and shame being washed away by the righteousness of God. How? The righteous shall live 
by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Luther discovered. Faith is not blind, is it? Many people think that faith is blind. Well, Christian faith looks at the evidence, and there is good evidence that Jesus is who he said he is. There is good evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. But in the end, faith means trusting Christ alone. Not yourself, not putting your faith in the church, not putting your faith in the law, faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So faith in Jesus is crucial in the face of God's judgment. But just as crucial is faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Now we're going to jump now to the book of Hebrews. Different context. Christians who are being tempted to drift away from Jesus, particularly in the face of persecution and suffering. The Hebrews author is reminding the Christians that there is still a judgment to come. And yes, Christians can be tempted to give up on Jesus, and they're being encouraged by the author to persevere in their faith to Jesus, to not throw away their confidence in him, even if they, if they have to suffer for Christ. Hebrews 10, verse 38. But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. The Hebrews author quotes from the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. It's, it reads a bit differently, but what is being emphasized by quoting Habakkuk 2 verse 4 is the quality of faith, faithfulness, faithfulness to Jesus. Loyalty to stick to Jesus, even when you have to suffer opposition, even when you're tempted to shrink back from Jesus. And that is the type of faithfulness that Habakkuk showed in the face of God's judgment. Habakkuk knew that his people would suffer loss when the Babylonians arrived. And Habakkuk said, though the fig tree does not bud, though the olive crop fails, though there are no sheep in the pen, in other words, even if I have to suffer great loss, Habakkuk knows he will not shrink back from faith in his God. This is the type of faithfulness that operates on God's word and not on sight. Habakkuk did not live to see all of these promises fulfilled. But for the righteous to live, well, it means not living just for this earthly life. It means living for the eternal life that is yet to come. To trust God means knowing there is a better life in eternity. To keep on putting your faith in Jesus Christ so that you will be raised to new life with Christ. So the righteous shall live by faithfulness to Christ. And that may well mean that you die for faithfulness to Christ. Uh, Polycarp was one of the first martyrs of the early church. He was the Bishop of Smyrna, and he was recorded as being one of the disciple John's uh, followers. In Polycarp's advanced years, he was arrested by Roman officials. He was led into an amphitheater full of people, and he was told by the governor to deny Christ and to worship the Roman gods. And by doing so, his life would be spared but in his faithfulness, Polycarp answered, 86 years have I served him, and he has never done me injury. How then can I now blaspheme my king and my saviour? 
The governor threatened to burn him alive. And Polycarp warned the governor that this fire only destroys the body. There is worse fire to deal with, and that is the eternal fire of God's judgment. You threatened me with a fire that burns for a season, and after a little while it's quenched, but you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. Polycarp was then burned to death in that amphitheater, trusting in Jesus, who would deliver him from the fires of hell. The righteous will live by faithfulness to Christ. And living does not mean just in this life. But the promise of Scripture that those who live for Christ and lose their lives for Christ and his gospel will save their lives into eternity. That is what Polycarp believed, and that is why he was faithful to the end. Suffering now, glory with Christ then. A true believers of an AFL club will tell you there is a difference between a true believer and a false believer. A true believer of an AFL club is proud, passionate, and paid up. A true believer of an AFL club will go to every home and away match, even if that means traveling interstate. A true believer suffers through the pain of losing and becoming the wooden spoon winners in order to share in the glory of the premiership. A false believer of an AFL club is only in it for the glory of grand final. When it comes to Jesus, what is your faith like? Will you persevere in your faithfulness to Christ? Like Polycarp, like many of your brothers and sisters in Christ even now, who suffer for bearing the name of Christ, Will you share in Christ's sufferings in order to share his glory? Now, faithfulness to Jesus is also to live for him, repenting of your sin every day, seeking his forgiveness every day, putting sin to death for his glory every day. Prayer is an act of faithfulness, needing to rely on God and Jesus and asking for their help each and every day. Faith in Jesus is crucial. Faithfulness to Jesus is crucial. But just as crucial is who this faith is for. Now Habakkuk 2 verse 4 was written to a small group of people. Originally, the righteous in Judah. The righteous who were exiled to Babylon, who were prisoners in a foreign land, who were trusting that God would save them. It was written to encourage them to keep living by faith in God, in exile. But the Apostle Paul now applies Habakkuk 2 to all people. Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In Romans, Paul stresses the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to save people from God's judgment. We are justified by our faith in Christ. But faith is not just for the start of the Christian life. Faith is for the whole of the Christian life. You continue to live 
as a righteous person by trusting Jesus, and you will receive eternal life with God by trusting Jesus. And Paul adds that faith is not only for all of life, but it is for all people. And he quotes Habakkuk 2 verse 4. Anyone and everyone who puts their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ are the righteous, whether Jew or Gentile. In Romans chapter 10, Paul later says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. But how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard? And that is why Paul is compelled to go to Rome to preach Christ to all who will hear it. All people everywhere need to hear Christ. Because no one comes to God except through Christ. If you're listening to this sermon today, Christ is for you. He's not just for a particular group of people. My uncle grew up in um, Malaysia, a, a British colony. And up until recently, my uncle believed that Christianity was for white people. We had to correct that recently, that Jesus has also come for him. In Romans 1, verse 18, in the very next verse, Paul is going to talk about God's wrath against sin, his judgment being revealed. Christ is the only way to be saved from God's judgment. So Christ has come for all people. That's why Christ is so important. And I think that is why faith is so wonderful. You see, if, if, if Christ has only come for a certain group of people, then those people can boast that they are the strong, they are the powerful. But because Christ has come for all, faith is open not just to winners, but to losers. Faith is open not just to the strong, but the weak. Faith is not just for those who have it all together, but it is for the broken. Regardless of your class, regardless of your race, regardless of your status. The only way to be righteous is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you the question, will you share this faith with all? If you're here today and if you know the joy of God's grace, if you know the wonder of being forgiven of your sin, if you know what it means to receive the gift of God's righteousness through faith in Jesus, will you share the good news of Christ with all? It's easy to be ashamed of the gospel. Ah, oh, I'm sure they're really too busy to come to church. I'm sure they really don't want to hear about Jesus. Maybe I'll tell them next time. Uh, this week I conducted both a funeral and a wedding, and each time I preached about Jesus. And I'm embarrassed to admit, there's still a part of me that is ashamed of the gospel. Don't, don't be too full on about the Jesus stuff, Andy. The worst thing in our culture is to be preachy, isn't it? Don't be preachy. No, the worst thing, the worst thing is to wake up 
and realize that God's judgment is real. The worst thing is to wake up and realize that the only escape from the judgment of God is Christ, his precious son. And the worst thing is to wake up and realize that I failed to share Christ with all the opportunities he gave me. Uh, John Newton is the author of that wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace. And in his earlier life, John Newton was uh, someone who worked on slave trading ships. Ships that carried men, women, and children from Africa to England to be slaves. And can you imagine the terrible things that took place on those ships, the things that Newton would have been part of? How could anyone forgive someone like John Newton? God could. That's why he wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton became a minister of the gospel. And when John Newton was an old man, he said this, When I was young, I was sure of many things. There are only two things of which I'm sure now. One is that I am a miserable sinner. And the other, that Jesus Christ is an all-sufficient saviour. Friends, I could not agree more with Newton. The older I get, the more I realize that all the things that I put my faith in, including myself, will fail and disappoint me. For I too am a miserable sinner. And all that matters, all that matters is faith in my all-sufficient saviour. The righteous will live by faith in Christ. The righteous will live by faithfulness to Christ. And friends, this faith is for all. Let me pray. Gracious Father God, we thank you for this wonderful verse. Gracious Father God, thank you that you have opened a way for us to be counted amongst the righteous. Father, we have no right, for we are sinners before a holy God. And yet you have provided us a way through your Son, Jesus. Help us, Father, to put our faith in him alone. Help us to turn away from all the things that we trust in and trust in him. Help us, Father, for we are weak. We are tempted to give up our faith in him. Help us to be faithful, even when we have to suffer scorn, even if we have to give up our lives. And gracious Father, convict us to share this wonderful message with all who would hear us, that they too might put their faith in Jesus and find life in him. Help us, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen.